Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. and welcome to the Pet Pod. This is the podcast that's all about pets. I'm Zara Boland. I'm a vet, a consultant and an all-round animal lover. And each episode, I'm going to be joined by one or two of my veterinary friends and colleagues from across the pet healthcare industry so that we can offer you handy tips and some expert advice to help keep your beloved family pet healthy and above all, happy. Today's podcast is supported by YouMove, the UK's number one vet joint supplement brand for dogs. Clinically proven to work in just six weeks, YouMove is recommended for older dogs who are starting to slow down and show some signs of stiffness. Now, as many of you know, my own dog Rumba is already nine years old, and like many other dog owners, I'm always on the lookout for ways to make life a little bit more comfortable for her as she gets older. And that's why she's been taking YouMove for a few months now. But YouMove also have a range of products available to help younger dogs, and indeed those canine athletes, to stay on top form. And you'll be pleased to know it's also available for cats, horses, and even us humans. What I love about the team at YouMove is that they're on a mission to make sure every dog, cat, and horse lives their most active life for life. And that's why they're offering a 30% discount code for all new customers who listen to the Pet Pod. Simply visit youmove.co.uk and enter the code PETPOD30 when you get to the checkout. Plus, you can also be in with a chance to win a year's supply of YouMove for your own dog, cat or horse. Enter the draw at youmove.co.uk slash pages slash PETPOD and the winner will be drawn at random and announced on the 13th of January. So good luck! Today is all about our feline friends and specifically what to consider if you're wanting to adopt a cat. My guest is Nikki Trevorrow from Cats Protection, which is the UK charity dedicated to rescuing and rehoming stray, unwanted or homeless cats, as well as educating people about cats and their welfare. So there's plenty to discuss. Nikki, welcome to the Pet Pod. Thank you. Now, before we get chatting about adopting a cat, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and your role at the charity? So I've been with Cats Protection for 10 years now. It's absolutely flown by, which is always a good sign, I think. And my role is behaviour manager at Cats Protection. My role is different to a sort of a private behaviourist. Private behaviourists will, obviously, we all work on referral from vets. And then the private behaviourists will do home visits and they can like take two to three hours and, you know, go through everything with the client and then follow up and reports, etc. Whereas because I'm employed by a charity, I cover all the cats in the charity. So at any one point, we'll have about 5,000 across the UK. Wow. 
a lot of cats. Oh, we're rehoming about 41,000 a year, every year. Gosh. And I guess the emotional welfare of these cats is my responsibility. It's a pretty important role. I really enjoy it. It's, um, so I cover all of our volunteer-led um, branches for about 256 of those um, across the UK and about 34 adoption centres and homing centres. And then other than that, I cover all of our departments as well. So it would be um, like I write for our, the cat magazine that we've got and help with like the design of the cat accommodation and make sure that they're happy with it as best they can be, even though they're confined. And I'm media trained as well. So I get to do like a bit of, you know, TV and radio and newspaper and stuff, which is all good fun. And the odd podcast here and there. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I haven't done many podcasts actually. So uh, it's always good to broaden one's horizons. Well, you sound like a very, very busy lady. So very happy that you can spare some time with us today. Thank you. You mentioned, what did you say, 41,000 cats needing adoption? 41,000 every year, yeah. Yeah, so has that changed much this year, given the pandemic? Um, the difficulty we've had is because, particularly with the first lockdown, we had to, in line with the government's advice and guidelines, etc., we had to close cats basically coming in or out. Um, so they were on lockdown too, sadly, to start with. But then since they changed things for rescue centres, then we've actually managed to do a new scheme called hands-free homing. Oh, really? That sounds interesting. So tell us a little bit more about that then. So we do have like a, a, you know, a matching process and we'll discuss everything that, with the owner about what they're looking for in a cat. And in some senses, the branch is able to actually sort of meet the cat virtually using like a technology to, to show the person the cat, you know, go through that cat's history and everything. That's great. But then we do actually deliver the cats to the person's store. Wow. Yeah. So it's keeping everybody safe, but managing to get the cats out of rescue, which is ideal. Which is the point. So you're still able to rehome them despite the pandemic and the difficulties and restrictions placed on you. That's great. And amazingly, we've, we've already homed um, over 10,000 now. Wow. Since lockdown. Yeah. Gosh, that's incredible. Now, I'm really interested in it because we were talking to, I guess, a colleague of yours in Dogs Trust, and he was saying that remarkably, there's been a huge upsurge in adoptions on the dog side. So I was wondering if it was similar on the cat side, but I guess maybe it's a bit more complex with cats. There is, I think, a lot of people wanting to get more pets, um, for sure. I think, like I say, the difficulty has been just with all the centres trying to, you know, like in rescue centres, trying to rehome according to the government's restrictions. Well, let's go back to the very beginning. So what are some of the most common reasons that you find cats in need of adoption and coming to your centres? One of the most common reasons is actually um, unwanted litters, which I always find amazingly surprising when we neuter so many cats every year. We help to neuter about 150,000 cats every year and kittens. Wow. I know. And you think about that combined with all the neutering efforts of all the other charities as well. Yeah. It's quite amazing. And all the vets. Yes, of course. And we're neutering about 19,000 feral cats. Gosh. Not that they come in for rehoming or anything, but you know, it's, um, it's a big one. So, And yet it's still the main cause of, of cats coming in because of the, the, the unwanted litters they're having. Yeah. And I think it's because a lot of people are not getting their kittens or their cats neutered before they're sexually active. So that's why we're trying to push for people to neuter before, well, by four months. Yeah, because you're right. Cats can absolutely become sexually active at four months. And yeah, already by six months, they can have had a litter, sadly. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's very, very fast um, in the cat world. Gosh, but so, and again, I'm interested because I was talking, as I said, to your colleague in, in Dogs Trust the other day. Um, and he was saying one of the major issues and, and knowing your background and behavior in dogs, for sure, it's behavioral issues that tends to be the number one reason why they get given up for adoption. But 
I'm assuming there's still probably a pretty high percentage of that happening in cats as well. It's not actually as high as what you think it is for cats. I mean, don't you remember, we still have cats coming in, but I think it's around 8%, one of the studies that looked at our, our stats. Oh, really? Yeah, it's actually quite low. Uh, I think there's sort of another sort of top three reason for cats coming in is um, stray cats, which again, you won't really get on the dog side so much these days. Thankfully. Yeah, thankfully. We have a lot of stray cats. Um, I do suspect a lot of them are just missing pets that are not microchipped. Oh, microchipping. Don't get me started, Nikki. I think we need to come back to that because I have a lot to say about microchipping and, and why people don't get their pets microchipped. There's absolutely no reason whatsoever not to. But like I said, let's park it for now and let's go back to cat adoption. So how long do cats tend to stay with you before they get adopted out to their forever homes then? It obviously varies, but uh, on average, it's about 34 days. Um, but then some cats will be much quicker literally you know a week <laughs> um and then others they can they can take months sadly so it depends what people are looking for but most commonly the people are looking for ginger cats tabbies and then tortoiseshell cats they're the top three colors really in that order yeah gosh the most overlooked cats are the black and black and white why well for a variety of reasons i think but um i think overall people just don't want black cats and black and white cats i think whether they think they're boring or that they're they are very numerous they're actually we do get um a lot of black and white cats and black cats across the whole charity felix I know, famous I know. felix <laughs> my own cat is black so yeah i'm very partial to a black cat but yeah it's um it's a shame we've had um national black cat day for uh 10 years now but that in itself has been really successful because it has brought down the the time for rehoming for those cat colors so let's say um i'm interested in adopting a cat but i haven't owned a cat before i guess not as simple as ringing up and saying i want a, a ginger tomcat three years old there's a whole process involved so maybe you can talk us through the process how does it work i think the main thing is the fact that it's not instant so people can't just have an impulse buy um there's all the conversations we had with our staff and volunteers of course, we take their preferences into account. So if somebody really does have their heart set in a ginger cat, that's totally fair enough. We've got enough cats in the charity that we can generally sort of help with, you know, what they're looking for. But it's more of a big discussion around that person's lifestyle and what they're looking for. It's certainly not a barrier if someone hasn't had a cat before. That's absolutely fine. And it's just discussing, you know, what type of cat are you looking for? Because um, you can't really take anything for granted or, you know, make any assumptions. Someone who's not had a cat before, they might just want a cat that's off in the garden, doesn't really come into the house much, or they might want a proper lap cat. So it's, it's establishing those sort of the individuality of what they're looking for. And, and I guess also from, you know, just matching it on both sides, really, you know, what that person's looking to offer, what kind of household they've got, you know, is it quite busy? Is it quite quiet? Basically, you're, you're matching the cat to the person as much as the person to the cat or the family to the cat. Exactly. It's a, it's a two-way thing. And then from there, I think, um, you know, we've sort of, they might have seen a particular cat on the website because they are all available. Or equally, we might say, oh, we've got these particular cats in, you know, would you like to virtually meet any of these ones? And we've also got to find a cat form that goes through um, all this uh, information about the owner and we use that as part of the matching process. Okay, good. Yeah. And then, and then do you often have, I mean, I'm guessing you get two well, much, many more than two, but on a, on a basic level, two different types of cats for adoption. Those that you have a history about, um, who've been given up from, for whatever reason, from a person who can give you a history versus those that are stray that, that come into the centres. 
So there's a difference, yeah, between the cats that are owned, we know lots of history about them versus the stray cats that we don't know much about at all, unfortunately. Um, and then I think we just try to get to know either of those types of cats when they're in our care. Yeah, so they go through a behavioural assessment. We, we observe their behaviour and care, yes, and, uh, and make all those sort of observation notes and, and get to know them as an individual and their sort of likes and dislikes and things like that. I mean, it's difficult because obviously how a cat acts in you know, a confined environment such as a rescue is quite different to how they might behave in the home. But I mean, I think as long as we make that clear to the owner, that's the best we can do. And obviously how they behave in the first home might be different to the second home, but it just depends on the, you know, the environmental circumstances. But we do the best we can to sort of be upfront and honest with, you know, what we do know about the cats. And then obviously we, you know, give our owners all lots of different information about the cats. So there's various sort of, you know, resources we've got about leaflets and so forth. But it's a whole matching process then. When a cat, as soon as a cat comes into you, you start to analyze and work out what's what the right home potentially could be for that cat from based on their needs. And then you also have a database of people who are looking to adopt cats and then it's a case of finding the right fit. Definitely. If we look at a, adopting a cat or obtaining a cat, there's obviously a few different ways to go about it. And, and let's avoid the, the whole online issue for now because that, that is a whole different podcast. Um, but if, you, if you're looking at adopting a kitten or going to a breeder for a specific cat versus a rescue center, are there differences that people should be aware of? I guess one of the main differences between getting through a rescue compared to a breeder is that most breeders are going to have pedigree cats, whereas the vast majority of our cats are domestic short hair, long hair, you know, moggies. Um, we do actually have pedigree cats, which I think always surprises people. So we do have those cats available, but just not very many. And I think there's a huge misconception with rescue cats that they're all damaged goods in some way. Yeah. You know what I mean by that? Whereas the vast majority of the cats in our care um, have been owner, you know, relinquished and have been really well-loved cats. Um, there's lots of reasons why cats are being brought in, whether it's like the person's gone into care or they've um, had to go into rent and they weren't allowed to take the cat with them. And we've been very upset to part with their cats. So really getting a rescue cat is no different from getting like an adult cat from other sources, because there's always going to be, a, it's going to be a big change for that individual. So you're going to need to settle them in regardless of where they come from, because, you know, I say that that change of environment is huge for cats. So giving them a sanctuary room, all the resources that they need, obviously lots of places to hide and just taking it at that individual cat's pace. Um, we have some cats that are super confident and they sort of, you know, <laughs> do a quick recce. And then within a, couple, within a few hours, they're like, yep, I've got this and, and quite make themselves at home. They own the place. Yeah, definitely. Whereas you've got others that will take weeks to sort of, you know, come out of their shell and might be hide under the bed, for example. But I think that's no different compared to if you got your cat from, you know, friends and family, etc. Whereas obviously breeders are different because it's primarily kittens. They're not really, you know, rehoming adult cats generally unless there are, I guess, breed rescue centers um, and groups. But, but I think there's another advantage as well, potentially, you know, if, you, if you're to adopt a kitten from, you know, a neighbor who's, whose cat's had a litter, whether intentionally or not, versus getting one from a rescue center or a charity like Cats Protection, you will obviously set, give, provide them vaccinated, microchipped, and probably desexed as well, right? Yeah, definitely. So if they're old enough, then we would definitely, yeah, we would need them. They will get a health check. They're microchips. They get the full works, basically. Exactly. The other thing with the kittens from Cats Protection is we definitely make sure that they are they're socialised. 
within that socialization period. So, you know, we take it very seriously. We've got a whole section on our website about it, which has got uh, free downloads of different sounds, which we play our kittens. So, oh, good. Yeah, and um, people always think it's funny, like the, we've got like eight different doorbell noises. But it's important. It's really important. I mean, you know, as well as the sort of classics like fireworks, vacuum cleaner, um, all those sorts of noises. And it makes a huge difference. We've really, we've really noticed that when we rehome them. And oh, good. people are like, oh, you know, came to fireworks night and he was fine. Great. Wow, that's fantastic. And how, how about, and this is a question that, you know, I struggle with and I'm asked, but when you've got multi-cat households, because as far as I'm aware now, we know that cats really are solitary creatures and they don't tend to want to be in multi-cat households. How do you manage in those situations? So for people who have maybe one cat or two cats already at home and they want to adopt a third, how do you handle that? Um, I think it depends on the individual circumstances and also the personality of the cats involved. So um, if you've got a household, for example, where after you know, a series of questioning, you establish that there are actually underlying tensions between the two existing cats, adding a third into the mix is probably going to be carnage. So, you know, it's about sort of gently educating those owners and trying to, to work through the issues the cats currently have before even thinking about getting another cat and advising that it's probably not a, suitable. Whereas you can get some households where actually they'd happily support five cats if you can get the right personality because they've got enough space, they've got the vertical height, they've got enough resources and the owner has plenty of time to sort of spend giving individual play sessions to them all. Then it's brilliant and you can give them extra. So it really does vary depending on the circumstances. Okay, that's really interesting. That's good to hear. So there's hope for for every cat in every household. There is, like I say, like it, it depends if there's ongoing issues, but certainly we agree that it is very much um, a case that cats are underlying nature is that they're solitary. So it does make it difficult at times when you're trying to home more cats. Well, it sounds like you're all doing a fantastic job there, Nikki, despite the challenges that we're all facing this year with, with the COVID pandemic. So I just want to go back to something we mentioned a little bit earlier on, which was microchipping, because I, I did promise to come back to it. And as far as I'm aware, it's compulsory for um, all pets, dogs and cats to be microchipped in the UK. Isn't that right? In dogs. Only dogs. I actually really thought it was cats as well. Our advocacy team are actually campaigning to try and get microchipping compulsory in cats. I'm shocked that it's not. I honestly thought it was compulsory in dogs and cats. I mean, it would have made sense to put the two to three together. We've seen a residual effect with the um, compulsory microchipping in dogs where they have, it, you know, we did see a bit of an increase of people getting their cats done, but there's still a lot of cats uh, not microchipped. And yet cats are the ones that are more free ranging than any other pet. They have access to the outdoors. They, particularly the male cats, we know from a behavioral perspective, uh, marking their territories and everything else. So, gosh, there's the, wow. Well, okay, well, let, let's try and, and get some messaging out there about microchipping. It's so simple. It's so safe. It's so effective. Why wouldn't you? I know. That's what I think. And it's so, so quick and easy. And the amount of people that are offering deals, you know, when it's combined with neutering as well. Or vaccination. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's cost effective. You know, it's, it's cheap and easy to do yeah um, I think there's another educational message that needs to get out there whereby people need to stop feeding other people's cats <laughs> and the kind of I found this stray that came into my garden and it's chosen me and you know and they they often sort of leave the cat for a good couple of years before thinking oh maybe I should take them to the vets for the neutering and whatnot really yeah again I found this all the time in vet practice and that people I had to speak to and be like so this cat lives a couple of roads over and is you know very much loved and is already neutered and already microchipped <laughs> to me there's two issues there that you've highlighted one is the fact that any cat that comes to your doorstep looking for attention or food or, or whatever 
first things first, always check the microchip. But second, don't feed them. We have a massive obesity epidemic across the world, not just the UK and our pets. Definitely one of the biggest problems affecting cat welfare in the UK today. So what percentage of cats that you find coming into you are actually overweight or obese compared to maybe 10 years ago when you first started working at Cats Protection? Have you noticed a difference? I think we have seen more cats that are getting obese over time. I don't have an exact figure for it. But we are certainly seeing, I think, a trend towards cats that are, are overweight. And particularly, we're seeing a lot of cats that are probably morbidly obese, you know, sort of, sort of eight to nine kilograms for a cat that should be about four. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You mentioned, I know we were, when we were talking before we started um, recording, you know, the importance of, of vertical spaces with cats. And that's a great way to help them lose weight, right? Get them jumping, get them moving around, even if they're indoor cats, encouraging them to, to do all that exercise and activity. And, and I'm sorry, I'm on a topic that I'm passionate about, which is obesity. I, I'm a full proponent of throwing away the, the, the food bowls and getting them to work for their food and puzzle feeders. Have a great Me too. Place. Yeah, there's a passion close to my heart as well. Oh, and do you know what? The one thing I'd like to get out to everybody is the fact that like everyone starts with a puzzle ball and it's more of a mid-level difficulty level, you know, and they just give the cat the ball and I'm going, oh, cat doesn't use it. So I have to say, no, you have to show the cat how to do it. You've got to bat it around for a little bit. Give the cat a couple of biscuits. But yeah, I always start people off on egg boxes because they're so basic and they're free. They're great. And for the cats that aren't the brightest, you can just put the biscuits in the flat part with the lid because it's basically a bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few cats that just try and put their their chunky faces into the bit where the eggs would sit and they're like I can't do Aww. it <laughs> that's what your paw is for <laughs> yeah exactly so, and I say to people you know with your fingers act like it's a paw and pour out a couple of biscuits give it to the cat and cats love it like you said before like it's, it's hugely mentally stimulating they want to work for their food so it's not like we're being mean or anything they do they're used to it yeah and it makes life a lot more fun but it's true and I think you know we're having this great conversation I think you know because we we've seen it we've seen how effective it can be and we've seen the engagement that you get with your cat and you get that bonding and you strengthen that that bond that all important human animal bond but you're also engaging them you're getting them moving you're getting them working for the food you get active but I think you know what what maybe 
we need to also highlight is the fact that, you know, this is very close to them genetically. They're, they're, they still hunt for their food today. So they want to be engaged. They want to be moving around. You know, I think, well, you can correct me, but as far as I'm aware, in the wild, they would be catching up to 10 mice a day. Oh, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. And so, and in between that, there's an awful lot of work. Each mouse is 30 calories. <laughs> Absolutely, 300 calories a day. But, um, but the point is, in between each of those 30 calorie meals, there's a lot of effort and a lot of calories expended. So, you know, what we're trying to do by encouraging puzzle feeders and, and, and having this discussion is, is kind of trying to emulate and, and recreate something similar to, to get your cats moving around. And fishing toys, my cat loves a fishing toy. They're amazing, aren't they? And like the ones with the really long rods and string, they're like the best. Like pretty much most cats. Yeah. Kittens through to sort of your, your sort of super seniors. So. Uh. Oh, I really love that term, super seniors. It's a great descriptor for our older cats. Um, speaking just now about toys and food, they're great methods for, for training our cats, aren't they? And teaching them behaviors that we want them to learn. So I don't think many people seem to realize, Nikki, just quite how trainable our cats are. And there's so many things that I think every owner should be training their cat on, like basic husbandry things like getting them used to cat baskets. I think most of the time when we think of training, you think about high fives rather than doing things to improve welfare. But yeah, I think if we can get cats used to cat baskets, it will make life so much easier in terms of getting those cats to the vets. Because I think one of the biggest obstacles owners face is they just can't face getting the, the stress of the cat in the cat basket. Yeah, for the cat and the owner. Oh, completely. Yeah. And so I think if we can get that obstacle out of the way, then it makes the whole vet visit a bit smoother. So maybe just let's chat through some of that because you're absolutely right. And, and you know, I'd go even further and say, you know, getting them hand, used to being handled around the face, the ears, the mouth, the paws, you know, for a full exam from a veterinary perspective makes life easier for everyone. But, you know, we always recommend starting this when they're kittens, but it's never too late, is it? You can always do this no matter what age your cat is, get them trained. Yeah, definitely. You can, you can teach an old cat new tricks as well. It takes a little bit longer. And I think with cats, people need to realize that it's, some of your training sessions are only 30 seconds long <laughs> before the cat wanders off. And so maybe just explain that a little bit if you don't mind. So cats do have a different attention span, don't they? They do. And um, I think sometimes they are definitely capable. They just choose not to. <laughs> so it's, about, <laughs> it's about finding a reward for that individual cat. And of course, they're all different. You know, one cat might like you know, a little bit of prawns and the other cats, it wouldn't work for them. In fact, I did a training project for um, one of my cats when she was 15. And I tried all the different standard treats people would think of. And in the end, it's her normal kibble. And that was the rewarding thing. Was it moving <laughs> and her running after its little game? Yeah, she was trained to sit. So um... Yeah, mine sits. That's all I can say. I've trained mine to sit. <laughs> but he's massively food motivated. He'd do anything for food. But even training them to sit or lie down is really useful in a vet practice as well. So yeah, it's um, finding the right treat and the right motivator. And then I think just having good training skills yourself, like you need to have excellent timing and um and it is a two-way communication between you and the cats and so it's been reading their body language and it really helps if you film your own training sessions it feels embarrassing but if it's just the two of you it's fine but if you watch them back i certainly found that the cat understood what we were meant to be doing before i realized that she knew she'd done it oh wow that's really interesting yeah i watched it back and i was like oh no she does get it and i was still thinking she hadn't cottoned on yet but it's uh, i think it's because there's so much in your head when you're in the moment of trying to train and you've got to like click and then treat and and you know watching for the sort of behavior you're looking for that some of the little subtle cues you can you can easily miss so recording it's really useful well that's a really good idea that's a really good top tip because you're right and i think you know it helps our understanding but also our recognition that our cats are really really smart and smarter than we can give them credit for 
definitely and um and yeah they are so quick at learning all sorts of different things i think also people don't realize that they learn in the same way that you know both humans and also loads of other species all learn as well so um, I always find it interesting that the sort of cognition abilities that people aren't aware of, but also the, the ones that they do ascribe to cats, like that aren't there. So, if, you know, for example, um, like forward planning in the future and abstract thought. And so all the, the sort of typical things we hear people say, like, um, oh, he's getting revenge on me for something I did last week. Oh, that's so classic. It is. And it's like, you know, one, it's not true. Um, but two, like the level of like cognitive ability the cat would have to have, as well as a wider emotional range than they have I mean they are emotional animals but they don't have sort of you know <laughs> the intent for revenge etc to then yeah forward plan a revenge plan it just doesn't it isn't the case so but then so then how do you how do you explain because I can hear lots of people now hearing this going well you know I went away and I left them for one night they had plenty of food they had access to everything and as soon as I came back they went and they toilet it in my wardrobe or they looked at me and they deliberately pulled out my jumpers and scratched them to bits but it was pure revenge because I went away and left them so how do you explain that behavior yeah you're right it is really common and I fully appreciate that everybody thinks that that's how it is and I think it's about understanding the cat's natural uh, like ethology their sort of behavior in the natural environment and and what abilities they do have so once I start explaining to people that you know in terms of emotions they feel like fear anxiety frustration um, they can get depressed, happiness, you know, relief, joy, but they don't have sort of jealousy and those other things. The higher level cognition. Yeah, that starts to unpick what they do do. And then if you actually look at the underlying causes to what they did, I mean, for a cat toileting in the wardrobe, for example, first and foremost, we need to make sure it hasn't got a medical problem because it might have an underlying medical issue. And I think once you start explaining, here's the possibilities, because obviously at this point you can't say it's definitely this, but opening people's eyes to the medical side of things and then some of the common underlying behavioral reasons rather than people thinking oh it's a, a personal vendetta then people think oh okay and it's, it's about I guess developing that empathy for the cat and seeing it from their perspective whilst acknowledging that it's you know we can understand where the owner's coming from. Yeah so it's it's basically the issue really is our, our lack of understanding more than anything else I think and so you know we need to be keep constantly learning our cat's view of the world and, and what their perspective is and, and really trying to come from that angle and that's to me is what really fosters understanding and, the, and a really good bond but um yeah thank you for answering that because I know there'll be loads of people who we just talked about it and we'll go but that's not my cat and I think the, the thing is when you're saying about learning like there's always new cat research coming out all the time so everybody it doesn't matter you know how many qualifications you have in in cats for example you'll never know everything there is to know because we haven't learned it yet there's always new discoveries being made oh you're absolutely right nikki that's what fires me in this in this profession as well i love that we're always discovering things <laughs> and actually that that's reminded me of something we we mentioned a little bit earlier and unfortunately some people having to um give up their cats if they're moving into rented accommodation um and i'm not sure nikki if that's because Maybe there's a lack of awareness or understanding amongst landlords about having cats as, as part of their tenancy agreement. Are there any top tips, given all your experience in this field, that you might be able to, to share with people that might help persuade some reluctant landlords to accept cats into their properties? We have actually got a, um, a perfect landlords campaign going at the moment. So to try and encourage landlords to accept cats in the lease, because it, it's one of the top three reasons for cats coming to our care, sadly, is because people have had to go into rented and then they can't keep their cats. So it's devastating. 
But no, our top tips are um, you can create like a little cat CV or manifesto for your cat. Oh, I love it. So you can sort of get references for your cat to show that they've been a good tenant. It's also making sure that the cat is, you know, vaccinated and neutered and you know, up to date with all of their health care. And also making sure that they've got all of their essential resources. So I think a lot of landlords are concerned about things like scratching the property. So making sure they've got a decent scratch post that's um, at least 60 centimetres tall. They don't like a post that's wobbly either. It's getting something quite sturdy. And then the hard one to get is the vertical thread so that it's got these vertical lines and they can scratch. They can leave their vertical scratch marks. But yeah, a decent scratch post can make a huge difference. And what about those landlords that might be concerned about cats that, well, inappropriate toileting, shall we, shall we call it? So with those, I would just make sure that the cat has, um, I guess I like to give it like a little tray checklist. So making sure they've got the right number of trays. So one tray per cat plus one extra. Cats really like choice on all sorts of things, including trays. So it's worth having like an open rectangular tray and then maybe more of a covered type one. I actually recommend putting an open rectangular tray inside a cardboard box, having it open at the top, and then putting um, a cat-sized holes on like two adjacent sides. Oh, interesting. That way the cat feels hidden, but it doesn't keep the smell in like a, um, a covered litter tray would. And it's also really easy to see when you need to clean the tray out because you can look at it from above. So that's really useful. And then a lot of cats like three centimeters depth worth of litter. And different types of litter as well, right? Offer them different types. Yeah. Most cats prefer like a really soft, uh, fine sand-sized litter. Like clumping litter. Yeah, clumping's really good because you can have a good dig and then it's easy to, to dig out the sort of deposits. Um, as we all know, cats are really, really clean. So they um, they like to have their litter trays cleaned, I'd say, at least twice a day to take the deposits out. Some cats, it's after every deposit. And you always hear people saying, oh, my cat's such a princess. You know, she won't use the tray if she's used it just once. And I was like, we flush every time. So... <laughs> I can see where your cat's coming from. <laughs> they like privacy. We like privacy. You know, we toilet in little cubicles and shut ourselves away to feel safe. And cats want to feel safe too. So um, I think once we sort of tick all those boxes, most cats are pretty happy. Great. And landlords, let's hope. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> well, look, um, going back to adoptions, and you must have seen hundreds of thousands in the, last, um, in the last 10 years. What kind of feedback do you tend to get from people who've adopted cats? And, and can you share any particular success stories that might stand out for you? I think one of the common things people say, which is really, really lovely, is I think the instant bond that people feel with these cats. So they'll say things like, oh, you know, she just came forward and she chose me and... Um, I just knew that I should take her, this, you know, this one specific cat home and they, how they settle in really well. Um, and they're part of the family and quite quickly as well. And so it's just really lovely. We often get from our owners um, sending in photos and little stories and updates on how they're getting on. And it's really heartwarming to see this, the change in some of these cats as well, because some of them don't cope being in a confined environment. And then seeing them sort of stretched out on someone's sofa, maybe like, you know, lapping up in front of the fire, it's, it is wonderful. And that's, you know, why we do it. It's really lovely for our staff and volunteers to see the cats happy. Yeah, and testimony to the matching, the, the good matching that you've done in terms of your job on that side of it as well, connecting the, the right cats to the right people. Yeah, it's really, really lovely. So yeah, that's, that's some of the common things that people say. And one particular story would be, um, there's a cat called Kozel who came in to, um, one of our adoption centers and he was um he's white and he was overlooked just because he was older i think he was about 16 when he was in our care wow and there was nothing wrong with him he was perfectly sort of lovely healthy cat but just all the other cats got adopted before him and he was just in for such a long time 
and it was just wonderful when the owner came forward and, and finally did adopt him everyone was so happy because he'd been in care for so long um, we actually made it into a Christmas animation oh wow so you can find it on YouTube it's called Kozel's Christmas oh again I think it just shows you that there's like heartwarming moment um, where like the cat's paw is on the glass and the owner's hand touches like the, gla the glass of the side and it's just yeah I think that and it's that little story brings it home about how it feels to adopt a cat and form that bond with them. I, I and listen, I, I can speak from my own experience. I adopted my cat and I uh, had no intention of adopting cat when he, well, actually let me rephrase, he adopted me <laughs> as cats <laughs> tend to do. Um, he was actually rescued from a hoarder's house, believe it or not. And the, the fire brigade were called because the house was going up in flames because of all the material goods in the house that, that weren't have been hoarded. But unfortunately this person also had a tendency to hoard cats. And so they'd rescued, I think it was 45 or 50 cats from the house and, and you know, sent them to rescue and adoption centers all around the city. And two weeks later, went back to make sure that the fire had been fully contained and everything was fine. And that's when they found a small litter of three kittens in the basement. And um, my little guy was one of those kittens. And so poor little fellow, when I, when I met him, it was, he was probably about five months of age. And so he'd already been in the vet clinic for three months and he'd come as a complete mess, you know, no hair, totally malnourished, obviously no kitten food and full of, you know, all sorts of parasites and feral really. He'd had no socialization. <laughs> and I just, I just felt sorry for him. I thought I'm taking, it was a Friday. I thought, oh, God help him. I'll just take him for the weekend. Yeah, that's how it starts, just for the weekend. <laughs> but I stuck to my guns because I actually had to travel the following week for work. So I did. I brought him back on, on the Monday morning. And uh, my, by the way, my dog was not happy at all about this new arrival in the house. But yeah, you know, a few days later, I called back into the clinic and I'm like, so that little kitten. And they, yep, he's right here. <laughs> he's got your name on him. <laughs> so Aww. yeah, he, he literally adopted me. But, but I have to say, he is... A, he's a complete survivor for a cat. He's amazing. But the bond is something I, I couldn't describe. You know, it's so strong. And I think, you know, I think when cats, any pet, when they've been through a tough experience, I suppose like people, they've been a bit traumatized and they find the ability to trust and create a bond. It's, it's unbelievable. It really is there's not words to describe it and you feel like you've really earned it as well yeah yeah right <laughs> you know because you've had to sort of really work really carefully with them to sort of you know, gain their trust yeah very much so so I'd love to see that animation of Kozel <laughs> and hopefully other people can look on and, and, and maybe think of adopting themselves and I think you make a really good point I had another friend who was a when we were going through vet school, she was a serial adopter of elderly cats, super seniors and super seniors. She would always adopt them. And, um, and I remember thinking at the time, like, gosh, why is she doing that? But, you know, and she was right. It, they were so rewarding because they'd had a life and, you know, hadn't quite panned out as, you know, anyone would hope for. And yet they had a second chance and, and really, really valued it, I guess. I think also a lot of people are actually looking for a lap cat and then they ask for a kitten. And that in itself is a complete mismatch, isn't it? Because we know that kittens are here, there and everywhere. Whereas actually, not that it's a guarantee, but more, more likely older cats and senior cats tend to be more likely to be your lap cats. You know, stay closer to home, not really into hunting so much anymore. And the sort of things people are looking for from a cat, you get that when you're with your senior cats. Really good point. Yes, absolutely. Someone to snuggle up to the fire, you know, with. Yep, shove you out of your corner of the bed because it's warmer and they want it. <laughs> yeah, still you're part of the sofa and like, you know, exactly. kneading on the fleecy blanket. It's lovely. 
Oh, Nikki, look, it's been a real pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. It's been really interesting to talk to you. Thank you. No, I really enjoyed it. Well, that's all for this episode. My thanks again to Nikki from Cats Protection. And as promised, we've added some show notes with links to the extra resources. So if you want to watch Kozel's Christmas or find more about the perfect landlords campaign, then check out the links. Plus, there's a bunch of other videos in cat behavior, which you might find interesting too. My thanks again go to our sponsors, YouMove. And don't forget to check out their website for a chance to win a year's supply of supplements for your cat, your dog, or indeed your horse. And to make sure you don't miss our next episode, please do subscribe. Thanks so much for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 